I am that old man that has been introduced um, who left campus 20 years ago. And Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of my life. Happy to be here. Happy to be in the place where we received the Lord, where we were discipled in ministry, where we were given opportunity, where we went out in missions like I see you have one in Turkana. And in those mission grounds, we were given the hardest assignments just by our own leaders. I remember the first revival meeting I ever preached and I was subjected to preach it in my mother tongue without an interpreter. And God has been good in those instances, in those times when I was given a service to lead, a time to pray, a group to disciple. Here we are many years later and thanking God for his grace. And of course by that, it's a witness to all of us that God can sustain you. Amen. Amen. And uh, greetings from my family who couldn't be here. They, we had uh, Easter events and the children were participating, my wife also. So we had to split this time and, and, and serve in different places. But God is good and we want to thank him. I'm asked to come and share on the topic of the crucifixion. And um, and in this topic of the crucifixion, I want to thank the leadership of for the consideration to uh, allow me to come and speak about it. And indeed, I want to say that by the selection of the topic, I was telling the earlier service, sometimes as members of the union, we may not know how hard the leaders have to think and crack their heads for the topics that end up on our service sheets for the few Sundays of the semester. You can be sure there are many topics that did not make it, but that this one made it is testament that the leaders had a burden to help all of us to understand this topic that I call a foundational topic, a doctrinal teaching. Uh, doctrinal because, and as I will just go quickly to 1 Corinthians 15 to lay a foundation, then I go to the portions of scripture for the day. Foundational because we are living in such times that a lot of teachings have come into Christendom, teachings that will excite us, teachings that will just help us with the life that we are living right now. But foundational teachings, brothers and sisters, are teachings that ground us so much that we can then, in our own faith, believe and walk with the Lord and understand him from the point of his teachings. When I talk about a foundational teaching, Listen to Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. Um, in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31, we are talking about the times and the days of the new covenant. Um, Jeremiah prophesied and said these words. Uh, Behold, the days come. Now, listen to me very carefully because this is in the Old Testament, but Jeremiah the prophet is speaking. Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. 
not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they broke. Although I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor. Now, when I talk about a foundational teaching, this is the teaching that allows you to reach this point in the new covenant. And they shall teach you no, they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. God is telling the children of Israel through the prophet that in the days of the new covenant, you will know me so well. Amen? You will walk with me and understand me so well that you will need no man to teach you about the Lord, telling you know the Lord. And you know, uh, many of you, are, uh, if you're a preacher like me, the day I stumbled on this verse, it helped me understand that what we do from the pulpit is supplemental. Did I communicate? That every man, every Christian ought to walk with the Lord in praying and in the word of God, interact with the Lord so well as David did. You know, I kept asking myself, why did Jesus, why was it testified about David that he was a man after God's own heart? David was such a man who pursued God, understood God for himself communed with him. In the days of the Old Testament, when we know that we needed priests, we needed prophets to go on behalf of us to the Lord. David had pursued God, and if you read the Psalms, you see a man who communes with God in a way that is so close. God says, this is a man after my own heart. What does that mean? That in the Old Testament, David lived in the old as if he was in the new. You're not saying Amen. Please help me preach this morning. And this excited me because when we are talking about the crucifixion, I'm reminded about a time I was doing ministry work among young people. I still do. But at least at that level where I was a youth leader. Preaching, teaching, Sunday school, holidays, you know, youth meetings, youth vocational weeks, when, they, when, when the students come for holidays. And we will do this, we will do that. Next holiday comes and the 20 guys, the 50 guys who had committed themselves to the Lord, they come back saying, I don't know the ways of the Lord. And I kept asking myself, what is it, Lord, we are not doing? What is it? Is it that the teachings we are giving are defective? Is there something we are missing? And you know, this is where the Lord reminded me that in the book of Acts chapter 2 verse 42, the Bible says that those who received, Acts 2 42, now they, uh, um, and they continued steadfastly. Remember in 41, they have just received the Lord, 3,000 of them. What is it that was going to sustain these 3,000 people without a situation where there was an organized church and Sunday school and everything? What was going to sustain them? The Bible says after they had received the Lord, they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine 2.42 and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayer. What is that apostle's doctrine? Brothers and sisters, therein lies the foundation of teaching. 
There are teachings in Christianity which we must repeat. We must speak them because if we don't, everything else we add on top can collapse tomorrow. Did I communicate? We must have a rock-solid foundation. And that's why in talking about the crucifixion, we even must ask ourselves, God was so jealous of this moment, that, jealous of this situation that his son went through, that he has managed to fix it in the, in, in the calendar of humanity. You know, we are saying Easter holiday. The service leader was telling us it is Easter. Guess what? It is Easter everywhere in the world. <laughs> it's fixed. It's not a Kenyan holiday. And you know, people keep saying that, oh, God is not powerful. How come this one ended up in such a secular society? How come it's still being celebrated? You know, sometimes we even, we will look for, in the simplicity of it. In the, this foundational teachings, brothers and sisters, we are talking about a time that the, 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 the apostles saw and said false teachers will come. Not only will it be false teachers, Jesus taught in Matthew, Mark chapter 7, he says, when, when, when he was being challenged why his disciples are not washing hands like the tradition of the fathers. And he told them, you are teaching for commandments, that, for doctrine, the commands of men. It had reached a point where it is the things that the high priests were thinking about that will be taught in the temple. And woe to us if we reach such a situation. That we start hungering and we start looking for things that have nothing to do with the foundations of Christ. The things that make us excited. The things that speak to our emotion. Is there anything wrong with that? Might be not. But look at it. If you miss in the foundational teachings of Christianity. What are those? And I was telling the earlier service. I refer you today. One time we were talking about uh, to, to a group of students. About uh, having a biblical worldview. And one of the things I tried to ask myself. What is it that can help us have a biblical worldview? And you know what it is? It's having the foundational doctrinal teachings Having them in such a rock-solid way that what, wherever you go, I had one pastor saying, we need to teach people the doctrines of Christ. So much so. Even when they close their eyes and they think they have backslid, and when they open their eyes, they are still in the kingdom. Did I communicate? <laughs> that you almost reach a point where Paul said, I know whom I have believed in and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. A conviction that, look, I am going yonder. I will make it there. I am in my human form, yes, but know what? I am convinced that God can carry me through. Brothers and sisters, that is what I call the foundational teachings. And I, in that teaching, I considered and asked myself, what, what do I believe in? Why, why do I have such a, a worldview myself as a, as a Christian? And I started asking myself that question, what are these things that I believe in so much? That they even give rise to the decisions I take, the things I like, the things I can do tomorrow and the ones I can't do. And brothers and sisters, the Lord starts to show me that the foundational teachings of Christianity are the ones that helps us to make decisions even for the future. Are there career choices that are difficult, relationships that have troubled you? Doctrinal teachings, foundational teachings. What are the irreducible minimums in your statement of faith? Now, I'm taking you to the statement of faith because all of us, I know, when we step out of our Christian unions, we belong to a, to, to, to a church, a congregation. And every congregation has got what we call a statement of faith. A statement of faith means this is what we are built on. These are the things we believe. These irreducible minimums. These ones we can't negotiate. If we are negotiating anything else, it's not this. 
that Jesus Christ was conceived of a virgin by the power of the Holy Spirit. Is that negotiable for you? You're on dangerous territory. That he died. That he died. That he was dead for three days and that he resurrected. Is that negotiable for you? If it is, you're on shaky ground. Do you believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? Or is the Holy Spirit just a power and it's not God? Are we so convinced that the Bible, in your statement of faith, you might find this word, is the infallible God's word. The Bible is God's infallible word. Word. You know, and I'm reminded stories where, you know, scientists have tried to think through, you know, did Jonah really get into the... Yeah, I'm communicating now. Did Jonah really get into the stomach of the fish for three days and three nights and come out? Is that even scientifically possible? God's infallible word. I remember the story of that professor who was asking that young man, do you believe that the, the children of Israel walked? You know, you know, you know the parted waters, eh? The parted waters in, in, in when, when they were going to the land of promise. When, when Joshua did, and after they went in, and this, this, this professor was saying, you know, it, it, it's, in, in history, it's been studied and found that it was during the low water season. They, they just walked on shallow water. Now he forgot something. He forgot something. Then the young man, the Christian, asked the professor, Professor, thank you for that interpretation. Now here is a greater miracle. That Pharaoh and his horses drowned in shallow water. <laughs> Do you believe the Bible to be God's infallible world, unchangeable? Every title of it, everything. Do you almost believe it literally? One time we were being taught of evangelism and we were being told, you shall speak to that mountain. And you know, we keep saying, the mountain is some trouble in your life. And the preacher told you, no, told us no. I'm talking about a little mountain that can be picked in its totality and be thrown to the sea. Am I communicating? That when you believe these foundational teachings I'm talking about are the ones that build conviction. They help us to live even when we are alone and we face situations of temptation. You can say like John, what was the young man, Joseph? Potiphar's wife has come calling. Grab the man. Don't sleep with me. And he says, I cannot do such a thing against my God. Foundational teachings. We are talking about building conviction for a lifelong life where we can go and serve the Lord in whatever land. Where we can call upon him at any time of day. Like Jesus taught. And he says those who believe in me shall do greater. Did I say greater? So these foundational teachings are too crucial. And we need to ask ourselves as believers. How is it? You know, let me tell you. I come from the world of science. But in science, I, I like to ask questions. Then the next one and the next one until I reach the last one. What is it, you know, all of us as young people, even me, I'm young, stop looking at me like that. <laughs> even us, we, we, we keep worrying and praying, Lord, will I make it? By the way, that's okay. Amen? That's okay. If, if you've reached a point of feeling that, you're okay. 
Now, what will help us to go beyond that point of doubt is when we interact with the correct teaching, foundational teaching. You remember the man who was healed by Jesus? And then he went and he was being told, oh, you know, this man was a sinner. You know what he said? Ah, well, I, can't, I don't know whether he was a sinner, but you know what? I was blind, but now I see. You know, there are things people can't argue with. Eh? They want to argue about how sinner Jesus is, but they are talking to a man with an experience. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. When we are talking about these foundational teachings, we are talking about teachings that have been given, and then we walk experientially in our walk with the Lord. That's why you should never take lightly. Never take lightly. I don't. You have been invited. You have been told to go for that mission. You have been told to come for that Bible study. You know, I, I, I've gone for Bible study. I've just been saved and I've been told close for us with a word of prayer and I stammered through. And Jesus and, and, and you know, I was wondering, you know, was it, what was the difference between Jesus and God? And now the, I mean, the time of prayer. It's okay. In those moments, God begins to connect with you. You come for prayer. We, we will come here and find a brother praying who was called Brother Shem. Brother Shem will pray from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You will come at 10 p.m. thinking now you have come to connect with God. You, you left him there for supper. He is still there. And at times we will, we will pause and listen to what he is praying. And after he finishes, he goes, you pray what he was praying. <laughs> that is training. And asking ourselves, what is it that we will find in the place of prayer? In this foundational teachings, I'm talking about an experiential walk with the Lord. Wherefore, when talking about the crucifixion, Paul writes to the Corinthians. And he says, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Paul is writing to the Corinthians, he's telling them, look, guys, I want to communicate to you a truth about the resurrection. But you must, you cannot receive that truth unless you understand that the gospel we preach to you is the gospel of Jesus who died for us. Jesus who was crucified for us. Jesus who resurrected on the third day because of our lives. He was seen of Cephas and Peter and then the twelve. He was seen by another 500, verse 6 says, at once, whom was greater part, some of them who were alive at the time when Paul is writing this. After this, he was seen of James and all the apostles. At last, all of them, he was also seen by me also. The experience of Paul was such that he was not even told about the gospel, but that Jesus came himself. That's what he's saying here. I saw him. <laughs> I saw him. He appeared after saying he was seen by Peter, by 500, by the 12, and was also seen of me. Experiential. He is not doubting. He is communicating to a people who have started walking away from the teachings of Christ. In verse 12, he says, Now if Christ be preached, he that rose from the dead. How say some among you that there is, a there is no resurrection of the dead? That's why I was saying we have reached a point where the resurrection, the death in the cross, it, it's, it's being belittled. You know, I had someone who is a medical doctor uh, who was being told about Jesus who died at Calvary for your sins. And he says, only that? That's too simple. I need something more complicated to save me. Probably that's what the Corinthians were saying. There is no resurrection. This teaching, uh, it doesn't work. 
Historians have told us that even among some sects, they believe that Jesus did not actually die. When Joseph of Arimathea came with the arrows and preserved the body, he was in a near-death state, not dead. Yeah, there are things being taught out here. Eight billion people on the universe, as we go around, we find uh, teachings that are contrary. And you know what? These things will be said until they start looking like the truth. That's why I'm saying, if you have an opportunity to talk about Christ, talk about him in totality. Do not negotiate that he died and rose again. If they want to negotiate, you tell them, I was once a sinner, but now I know life. That they can't argue with. The Corinthians had started saying the resurrection is not. And by the way, which church are we talking about? When you read Corinthians, this is a church with a full manifestation of spiritual gifts. I'm not talking about a new beginning church. This is a church where Paul was having problems putting order. People were speaking in tongues on this side in the service, creating disorder, and he had to go there and tell them how they need to be orderly. It is not a simple church, yet they had started edging out the doctrine of foundational truths of resurrection. He tells them if Christ did not die, if he never rose in, from the dead, if there is no resurrection, verse 13, they, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, our preaching is in vain, and your faith is vain also. Tell you what, if Jesus did not resurrect on Resurrection Sunday like today, I'm just making noise here. A sad reality. I would accept if he didn't, but tell you what, it is not noise. I know, I met him in, in 98. I met him and I know he lives. 20 years into my life, I had been in church all along. Baptized, confirmed, taken sacrament. But the day I heard his voice saying, son, you are lost. I knew nothing would save me. I knew nothing would save me except the Lord. So Jesus, Paul is telling the Corinthians, if Jesus did not rise, we preach in vain. Your faith, we are here gathered on a Sunday morning. It's now afternoon. Gathered here. Do you know what? It's in vain. We are just having a lecture, a public lecture. No. Are you having a public lecture? No. We must be convinced. Paul is, if the dead do not rise, then is Christ not raised? And you know, we were even musing earlier in the other, uh, in, in, as, 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 as we were talking with the leadership in, in, in the morning. And we are saying the resurrection has been taken simply because we've had, we have also had people who have been brought back to life like Lazarus. So what is the difference between Lazarus and Jesus? Lazarus died again. He was buried now again, properly now. But the resurrection of Jesus is an eternal resurrection. That's why Paul writes to the same Corinthians in verse 52, going on. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet of God shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. Incorruptible means for eternity. To live forever and ever. And he says, we who are alive and remain in the Thessalonians shall be changed. We shall be caught up. And so shall we be ever with the Lord, forever and ever. Because if we believe the resurrection, then we begin to ask ourselves the question, why was it necessary that Jesus died on the cross? Now I go to my text in closing. I hope I have said enough of the why. <laughs> you know, in teaching, you know, my wife is a teacher, and after we got married, she, she kept listening to me and telling, you know, you, you didn't communicate this and that. 
So, so I, I discovered, because Ash is a professional trained teacher, me, I want to go to the substance. I want to go to the issues. <laughs> that I need to speak about the why. Now we understand. When we talk about the crucifixion, we are talking about an ordained plan of God. A God-ordained plan of God. The Bible says in the book of Revelation 13, the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundations of the world while he was creating us, while he was creating mankind, he probably foresaw and he knew there was going to be a fall. He provided for himself a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice that was going to save humanity for eternity. In the book of Matthew chapter 26, the text I will speak about talks about and, 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 and briefly, uh, we are talking about the walk between the time when Jesus was being betrayed during the Passover up to the time when he resurrects. That's Matthew 26 to 28. And the crucifixion was supposed to be a method of capital punishment that was given to hardcore crooks employed in ancient times, about 6th century before, 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 before Christ. And the Romans perfected it. And the Romans perfected it. You will be crucified because you are, you are thought so evil that even killing you and burying you in the ground will cause the ground to be desecrated. So you are killed and hanged on a cross so that you could rot there and be eaten by animals there. And that there will be no memory of you, not even a grave, at least not a marked one. And in this method of punishment, God decided that his son was going to walk through it. Now, let me just give some 10 portions of scripture for your own study at your own time. On the path that Jesus walked on the journey to crucifixion. In Matthew 26 verse 2, he tells his disciples very early and while he's still clearly communicating to them. 26.2 says, you know that after two days is the feast of the Passover and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. First portion we see Matthew 26, verse 7 to 13. This is the point where an alabaster jar is broken, an alabaster box with very expensive perfume poured on his body at the house of Simon. And Jesus says, this woman that you are castigating is preparing my body for burial. Now, Jesus already has said that the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. He is walking life, he is communicating life, what is just about to happen in about 36, 72 hours. The woman has anointed her, his body with that expensive oil. So expensive that they said amongst themselves, you know, you know, they said it was worth a whole year's wages. We were calculating in the earlier service. It's about 200,000 shillings. By today's standard of 600 shillings per day of a wage. That's very expensive. Even the most expensive ones. I've not seen anything coming to 50,000. Well, at least the ones I've seen. <laughs> not that I've bought. The ones that you've just seen when you are, in, you, 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 you are at the airport on the, in the duty-free and passing time before the aircraft comes. And you know, 20,000, $200, you know? This is 200,000. And you know, somebody there with an economist's mind says, it could have been sold and helped the poor. Very organized. Very, makes sense, isn't it? <laughs> but Jesus says, preparing my body. He is already in the moment, awaiting the time when he is going to the cross for the ultimate sacrifice. Number two is the last supper with his disciples. Matthew 26, 17 to 30. He communes and has a last meal 
with his disciples, at least in his human form. They go into the house, he, he sends them to the house of a certain man and he gives them a place to, for them to eat a final meal. After they eat, Jesus takes, symbolically, he takes bread, breaks and gives them. He tells them, eat, take it, this is my body, broken for you. Again, symbolizing his death that is just about to happen. My goodness. You know, how, 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 uh, how much of pain can a man walk through that he is living out the moments of his life before they happen? After supper, he takes the cup. He tells them, drink. This is my blood in the new covenant. Shed for you. In his human form, he is already doing this before he is taken up for the sacrifice to be offered. Giving them the way they will be remembering him after he is taken up into the heavens. In that last supper is where the disciples are agonizing and wondering because he has already said one of you is going to betray me. They are agonizing and asking him, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? And the Bible says all of them asked. When Judas asked, is it I? Jesus says, you have said it. <laughs> it's not me who has said it. You, you have said it. <laughs> wondering why he never told that to the rest. And, 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 and he has that last supper. He is agonized. He has given them a memorial. They go next to the intercession at Gethsemane number 3. Matthew chapter 26 verse 36 to 46. They walk out of the Passover feast. They go to Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. And they begin praying. Jesus leaves them at a point and tells them, pray. And he goes, the Bible says he went further on. And there he prayed. He began to be sorrowful. With a lot of agony. I don't know whether it is Luke that says he prayed so hard that the sweat almost looked like blood. Deep intercession. Praying, Father, can this hour pass from me? Is there a way that the cross can be accomplished without me feeling the pain? In his human form, he agonized for you and me. And you know what? As he interceded, he reached a point where he said, Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Brothers and sisters, there are days when we pray, when we have asked the Lord to come and come himself, and there are times he remains silent. If the Lord will remain silent, the hardest prayer to make in this life is this prayer that Jesus prayed. Nevertheless, not my will, not what I am thinking, not what I really desire, Lord, but what you desire. Because we know what he desires is the best for us. What he desires is the highest for us. Jesus reached that point. And he says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Number four, we see now the betrayal. After this Gethsemane experience, they, he prayed and he came back. And he found the disciples have started sleeping. Now listen, he has already taught them. He has told them I'm going to be crucified. He has already shown them by at the last supper, take this and eat. It is my body broken for you. Take and drink. It's my blood poured down for you. And yet, they seem not to connect with the moment and help Jesus pray. It's good I've remembered now. I'll say it also in this service. And you know, even as we are asked to come and preach, as we read the word of God, we also reach certain points of getting learnings for ourselves. And this was a learning for me. 
We know so much about Jesus. We know so much about the future, the eternity that is coming. We know about the destruction that is happening in the world. Men and women are falling down dead because of wars, corruption. Earthquakes in Turkey and Syria consumed almost over 50,000 people. Yet with all that knowledge, with all that calamity, with all the things God has spoken to us by his word, we cannot pray for one hour. May God help us. And he went again and prayed and he came back again and found their eyes were very heavy. The Bible repeats in, two, in three of the Gospels. And that betrayal by Judas, after they are praying, Judas comes in with the army. With, sorry, not the army, but with the servants from the high priest. They want to take Jesus so that they can now take him to Pilate. Judas comes and he has told the guys he has come with, the man I will kiss is the one. Can you imagine Jesus was so ordinary he needed to be identified? That blessed me. That among his disciples, if you came, you might not identify, maybe unless you had seen him heal the sick or something. He was so ordinary, Judas needed to come and, and hug him, and he had told the one I will hug. Meaning, if you looked at him and Peter, there might have been no difference, at least not from their physical. <laughs> and Judas betrays him. What happens after this? Not only does G G G uh, uh, Judas betray him. In verse 56 of Matthew 26, the Bible says all the disciples fled. They fled. They left him. As if the, 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 the betrayal by Judas was not enough. <laughs> they all fled. Now Jesus is left on his own. He's already at the hands of the high priests. He is taken for a mock of a trial. And false witnesses, number five. Mockery of a trial before the council and Pilate, Matthew 26, 3 to 5, and then 59 to 68, and chapter 27, verse 2, and chapter 27, verse 11 to 26. We see this in quick succession. I'm telling you, this was building up so rapidly, there was nothing left to chance by the realm of darkness. He is taken to the elders. The elders sit the whole night. They listen to witnesses. They don't find except some two people. And as they are asking Jesus questions, he says, you shall see the son of man sitting at the right hand of God and the high priest, the Bible says, he rent his clothes and says, blasphemy. He has spoken blasphemy. We even don't need witnesses now. And they took him to Pilate. Continued. The mockery continued. The soldiers will hit him, smite him, and say, prophesy who has hit you. They took a robe and put on him. A scarlet robe, a purple robe, other versions say, and a crown of thorns, and say, Hail, King of the Jews, in mockery. Yet, the sacrifice was being perfected. Number six is the journey to Calvary. And the journey for Cal to Calvary is where now Pilate had already washed his hands. He has already said, He can see this man is innocent. He has asked them, Who do I give you? During those feasts, he needed to free one man. And he asked, do I give you Jesus or Barabbas? They said, Barabbas. He said, why? I don't find anything with this man. In fact, I read on the other, on the other accounts of the gospel that you can even see Pilate literally trying to rescue Jesus. At one point in the account of Luke, he washes hands and he tells them, I am free from the blood of this innocent man. And they are there shouting, let his blood be upon us. And our children. 
And as Jesus continued in that journey, all this was being spoken. He kept quiet. One of your leaders was asking me when we had the break, why was he quiet? <laughs> and you know, a difficult question indeed. He's looking and he's seeing this cup must be taken as he prayed in Gethsemane. The journey to Calvary was filled with pain and blood. He was whipped for your sins and mine. The Middle Eastern whip was made of leather straps. And on those leather straps, I've seen several depictions of this. They had sharp stones put in them on the lengths of those leather straps. So that if the, the whip was hit on your back and it was pulled back, it will literally come out with flesh and blood will continue pouring. They whipped him. He continued on. He fell down with a cross. He got up again. When he saw you and me in the future, he said, I must save David. I must save him from his sins. And he woke up and soldiered on to Calvary. It was because of you and me, brothers and sisters. This was not happening. In fact, as they were saying, let their, his blood be upon us and upon our children. That is the reality today. To any man who does not accept the sacrifice of the cross, it is the blood of Jesus that will witness against us in the end time. The sacrifice was given free for all. It was displayed at Calvary and uh, preached into the world. Yet when we heard, we walked away and we never considered it anything. At Calvary, as he was there in pain, the Bible says they came and mocked him. You saved others. Save yourself now. And Jesus was there. The thieves that were crucified with him, one of them also mocked him. You know, you, you can't get worse than that. You're also being crucified. In fact, it's better the guys who are walking because they are free anyway. You, you are being on, you're on the cross with him and you are telling him, save yourself and save us. The other gentleman on the other side, probably out of conviction and understanding and seeing the kind of man this was, the direct opposite, say to Jesus, remember me. And Jesus opened his mouth and said, you will be with me in paradise. You know, one time we were preaching somewhere in Yamira and we met a staunch Adventist, the district commissioner. And we went into his house on a door-to-door -door and we met him. Of course, we didn't know we'll meet him. And as we preached Christ, he was there saying, you know, I got baptized, you know, My friend said, you know, baptism is not the one that saves you. And he gave that example. You see the man at the cross. He told Jesus, remember me. Was he baptized? No. Is he in heaven? Yes. You know, sometimes God reveals to us some very simple truths, eh? which are very profound. And they mocked him. But Jesus in paradise. Listen to me, friends. The next part that comes is the darkness that faced the, uh, the, the earth for a period of three hours. This is significant, and please check. In the three Gospels, it's given account on account. In the book of Luke, in the book of John, and in the book of Ma 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 uh, Matthew, as we are reading it, and also Mark, the four Gospels. On the sixth hour, 
There was darkness upon the face of the world for a period of three hours. Why? Why was there darkness? Brothers and sisters, you remember Leviticus? Leviticus, Moses is giving the ordinance of how a sacrifice was supposed to be. The lamb of sacrifice was supposed to be without blemish, without spot. And it is said that the priest needed to do what? To lay his hands on the lamb of sacrifice. Imputing the entire sins of the nation of Israel on that lamb, then it will be offered as a, to slaughter. The Son of God has perfected this sacrifice. He is at Calvary, ready to be slain, ready to give up his life for you and me. God took the entire sin of the world, past, present, and future, and placed it upon his own Son. The only light, for Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The only light that was present on the universe, on the earth, was now filled with darkness. And probably God had to shut his eyes. Because being a just God, who could not coexist with sin, his only son there now imputed with the sin of the world. There was nothing else, even the sun had to go dark. And on the ninth hour, the Bible says, Jesus cried out with a sharp voice, loud voice. In Luke he says, he shouted and said into your hands, Father, I command my spirit. And he gave up the ghost and he died. Out of anguish, out of pain, out of agony for you and me. He stayed at the cross until the last minute. The sin of man and the justice of God meet at the intersect of the cross. This is the only point where God would look at the world and say, but for my son, I forgive you. But for my son, I forgive you. Men who have lived difficult lives, hatred, murderers, they come before the cross and Jesus says, I forgive you. I forgive you. This mercy of God we cannot understand even in eternity. In our human form, one person was saying, Paul, who had killed many Christians, who had witnessed the death and the stoning of Stephen, a staunch believer, how does he just go and say, Father, forgive me, and he's forgiven? One friend of ours was telling us, you know, this God we can't understand. If it was us humans, you would say, just get a taste of hell. Two minutes. But God forgives. He's a God of mercy. He looks at his son and he forgets everything. The high priest will sprinkle the blood of the lamb on the mercy seat. When God looked at the mercy seat, the word was below there. He will forgive the nation of Israel. When he looks at us and he sees Jesus, when we say we take upon ourselves the sacrifice of the cross, he looks at us and he says, you are forgiven. Romans chapter 5 verse 8, what does it say? But God commends his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We can't do enough to make God love us more. Jesus didn't die for us because we were looking a liar, believe nice. And somebody we were preaching to one time and she, she, she lived such a reckless life as we preached to her to get saved. One time she came and said, David, you're trying too hard. Wacha tu nianze kukuja bies kidogo, nikuja church kidogo, nibadilike kidogo, mungu nipenda kidogo. Ndiyo sasa nioko, niokoke. 
God, the Bible says he has translated us from the kingdom of darkness in the book of Colossians into the kingdom of his dear son. Translated means no, you make no step from where you are. You just where you are, you say, Lord, I accept the sacrifice of Calvary. Was this a significant death? Yes, it was a significant death. When darkness came, the Bible says when he gave the ghost on the ninth hour, when he said, it is finished. Guess what happened? Another supernatural occurrence. In the temple at Jerusalem, the curtain that divided the holy place and the most holy place was torn into two, giving all of us access. You remember the song we sang? We remember the song? Jesus has gone before us in Swahili. With the blood. The curtain was torn. God himself, he's now saying, the sacrifice is paid. Now I give everybody access. And by his own divine hand, no intervention of man, he took the curtain and tore it. And told humanity, look, you can now access the Holy of Holies. You can come to me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. Hallelujah. Don't ask me why I'm shouting because God has revealed to us the great sacrifice of the crucifixion. And he has made it possible for us to access the glorious beauty of the heavens. The curtain was torn. There was nothing left now. The place where the priest will go after offering blood sacrifices, he will enter there and intercede on behalf of the people. God is saying, look, I have abolished that ritual. I have now made it possible for you to access the Holy of Holies. Pray by yourself. Access me by yourself. You do not need, as Jeremiah said, a man to teach you. You need to access God for yourself. Amen. And that is the joy of Easter. That you and me have the eternal access. You and me have got the opportunity to go and take the sacrifice of the cross and access the eternal gift, the, the eternal life. Brothers and sisters, Jesus dies. Joseph of Arimathea comes. He, he pleads with Pilate, give me the body of Jesus. Now, I don't want him to be left there. To perish and to be eaten by birds. He pleaded with Pilate. You know, I was telling people in the other service. How, how, you know, the Bible says he was a rich man. And my prayer is, as you get access and you get influential in society, don't put that away. Use it for the kingdom. Did I communicate? I don't know whether Mary, the mother of Jesus, will have accessed Pilate to say, give me the body of my son. But because he was a rich man, probably thinking influential, he goes and pleads, and he's given. The Bible says he goes and puts Jesus in the tomb, the new tomb he had just hewn out of stone, probably for his lineage. We all know Joseph of Arimathea regained the use of his tomb after three days. <laughs> the glorious death of the cross. The burial in a borrowed tomb, Matthew 27, 57, 61. And then finally, the resurrection that brought us redemption. We are not talking about a resurrection. Paul is not talking about a resurrection that is just simplistic. It's also a resurrection that has got divine intervention. Jesus is buried in a tomb. The high priest had even said to Pilate, give us soldiers because his disciples, know his disciples may come and steal him because he said he'll rise from the dead. And they put soldiers there. 
Time fails me and then in the last time, he, they, they, on the third day, Mary runs. Probably they were just coming to check. Is he still there? Like he told us. Is he still there? Maybe the day before they had seen the soldiers. But they walked with a certain conviction. And you know what? While they were there, the Bible says the angel of the Lord appeared. There was an earthquake and he moved the stone. He told them he is not here. They ran in to check and they found indeed he is not there. He is alive. He is alive. They ran back to tell the others he is risen. And you know some were even doubting. But it happened over 2,000 years ago. The centrality of heaven is not the beauty of the streets of gold, brothers and sisters. When we see the journey that Jesus went through in the crucifixion, one preacher was telling us, even if heaven was a ghetto, all dirty but my Jesus was there, I will go there. Some of you are looking at me confused. Let me try this once. Because we have preached about heaven, the streets of gold, there will be no pain, no suffering. I want to say today, the beauty of heaven is about the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When we get there first, is to look for him. At least in a form and in a physical form, because that's what we see in the book of Revelation. And ask him, Master, thank you. Let me see your hands now again. You know, you, know, you know, I hear people struggling and saying, oh, how will we worship in heaven forever and ever? The struggle is not worshiping and singing. It is in the joy. You turn like this and you remember I will not be here. Oh, hallelujah, Lord. And 24 hours later, you are saying the same thing. Ask the angels who serve at his presence. What do they say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They have exhausted. Holy, holy, holy. <laughs> the problem with us is that we are looking for many words to fulfill our songs instead of remembering the joy of Calvary and saying to time bows and you know you are not even singing you are even saying what you will do <laughs> may God help us brothers and sisters in this Easter crucifixion is the climax of the redemptive history of man God had sent the law, we could not fulfill it. God had sent judges, we could not listen to them. We kept on listening to them and falling back again. Read the book of Judges. Listening to God, worshipping him and falling again. He sends another judge. We came to the days of the kings to show us how we need to serve God. The kings built temples. We went to prophets. The prophets prophesied themselves hoarse. But we were never able to follow the Lord. But the redemption of man was completed at Calvary. God's perfect sacrifice was given at Calvary. For all to accept. For all to, to, to hear the voice of God. You know the Bible says in the book of John 3.14. Even as the son of man was lifted up. Jesus speaking. Uh, John speaking. Even as the son of man was lifted up.
Thank you, brother. There is no greater significance except that we know that the perfect sacrifice was, was, was born. And let me tell you something. There is something I like to clarify. We keep talking about, oh, you know, you have been saved, but you know, we need to pray for you so that you get deliverance. You have been saved. We need to pray for you so that you get your life a bit sorted out. Let me tell you something. As an evangelist, there is something I want to clarify today. There is no other place when we get to the cross of Calvary. Our sins are forgiven. Our bodies are healed. Our deliver Colossians writes and says, he blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, making an open show. We are talking about people preaching salvation as if it's just something we do with our head. I want to proclaim this day that salvation is going and understanding Jesus Christ at the cross, accepting the sacrifice of Calvary. And there we are made whole. There we are made separate. I keep telling people, when I got saved, when I got prayed for by Reverend Eric, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal savior, everything to do with my grandmother's lineage of, of witchcraft was cut off. It cannot access my generations. And I pray the same prayer for my family. Extended in otherwise. Why? Because if the death of Jesus Christ at Calvary does not break the curses that are following me, then we are saying the blood of Jesus is ineffectual. Am I communicating? As we go out to Turkana and other mission grounds, we need to preach the salvation of Jesus, the blood of Christ, as the only point of contact wherewith man is fully delivered. Otherwise, we are communicating. It's like, oh, you know, your salvation was just something you understood in the head. No! And I keep saying this. I know we preach and say, oh, you don't need to be saved 20 times. I keep saying this. If you are not sure, if you are not sure that the one you prayed the 20th time was the real one, the, what is the problem with clarifying and accepting Jesus? No! Let us stop these things we keep telling people. If that... I have seen preaching and people even, one, one pastor was telling us he went to preach in a church about the salvation of the cross. And when he called the altar call, the choir came. So the elder went and told the choir, now wait, did you understand what he said? It is those who have not saved. And the choir said, yes, we are not saved. We want this one. <laughs> Stop trying to intervene. Let God be God. Let him clarify to humanity. And I know I can be told I'm preaching error. No, I am trying to just say, when a man doesn't know, let him know. If you have clarified to him and he doesn't know, let him know now. If that is what is the point of contact, this is when he has understood what salvation is, let him accept it now. And God is telling us, brothers and sisters, that the significance of the death of Christ, how do we respond? Jesus told his disciples, carry your cross daily. Anyone who must follow after me must carry his cross daily. In fact, as I prepared for this teaching, now I start to see very many times when Jesus talked about the cross before the day of the cross. He has just been baptized and he's calling his disciples. And he's telling him, carry your cross daily, signifying for them what was going to happen to him three years later. Brothers and sisters, we are being called with this memory to carry our cross daily. 
Is it a painful experience? It might not. Read Hebrews chapter 12. The Bible says, run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him. We don't run because it's painful. We run because there is a joy. Amen. We run because there is a crown of righteousness. Paul says to Philippians, reserved for me. We don't run because we just want to look like holy Joes and holy Marys. No, we are running with perseverance because he loved us. If Jesus Christ be Lord and he gave himself for us, what greater sacrifice can we give? Nothing. Nothing. Let us run the race with perseverance. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Pray without ceasing. Our response just as the disciples were being told by Jesus, pray, pray, that we may not fall into temptation. The call for us today is that we pray. Is that we call upon God to give us the strength. Is that we call upon God to help us tomorrow. We don't pray because of just what we are seeing. Even the prayers I offered in my campus days, sometimes they still come in handy. Have you read in Revelation where it says the prayers of the saints came up before the Lord? It means they don't expire. That as you pray, God remembers them. When you find an opportunity to go for Akesha, go and pray. Two minutes, three minutes, ten minutes, don't say that that is little time. Just pray. Telling the other service, I heard a preacher once saying, you know, you think you have not prayed. You think, let me tell you, you have not prayed very long. If you hadn't prayed for those five minutes, it will be worse than it is on campus now. If we hadn't just called upon God even in our weakness and in our pain and told God, God, come and intervene. It will be worse. God is giving us an opportunity to call upon him and pray. Let us reach that point in response to the crucifixion of Christ where we say like Paul in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Hey! Amen! Let us run the race and walk with the Lord so well that we can testify like Paul. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Isn't that an awesome place to be? That you know, I live by faith. The life that I live in my body now, I live by faith. By the faithfulness of God's son who loved me and gave himself for me. Brothers, as we reflect on the crucifixion and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there is a great hymn written by one Fanny Crosby. Jesus, keep me near the cross. And the words of that sh should help us just reflect and ask ourselves and ask the Lord to keep us near the cross. In the first stanza it says, Jesus, keep me near the cross. There are precious fountain. Free to all a healing stream. Flows from Calvary's mountain. Chapter 2 says, near the cross, a trembling soul. Love and mercy found me. There the bright and morning star sheds its beams around me. Verse 3 says, near the cross, O Lamb of God, bring its sins before me. Help me walk from day to day with its shadows over me. And in 4, it says, near the cross, I'll watch and wait, hoping, trusting ever, till I reach the golden strand just beyond the river. And the chorus says, in the cross, in the cross, be my glory 
ever till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river in the cross in the cross in the cross be my glory my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the reef. And as we saw, sing that song and as we bow down, we want the Lord to help us that in the cross will be our glory. That in the cross will be the memory of our salvation. That in the cross will be the memory of our deliverance. That in the cross will be the memory of God's perfect sacrifice with whom he forgave, forgives humanity. And Master, we want to thank you this afternoon. Thanking you for the gift of Calvary, the gift of the cross, the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you because God Almighty, we came and we believed. We heard your voice as believers and we came and responded to you by way of salvation. Today, Lord God of heaven, you are reminding us that the great sacrifice that you paid at the cross, that great sacrifice was the perfect sacrifice. And you remind us today that there is no other way that man can access you except through the sacrifice of the cross and the death and the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the cross. Thank you for the cross and thank you for the gift of Calvary. You want to open your mouth and tell the Lord, thank you. Just open your mouth and tell the Lord, thank you for Calvary. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the blood that was shed at Calvary. And in saying thank you to Jesus, you are telling the Lord, I affirm my faith today. I want to walk with you. I want to journey in the remaining days of my life, knowing that, Lord, it is by the power of the cross that I will make it to the sweet by and by. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit of God. And as we close our service, if there be anyone amongst us who is saying in their heart, I have never known that Jesus Christ who died for me. I have never known him as my personal savior. I want to give you an opportunity right now. Lift up your hand wherever you are and we will say this prayer together in the name of Jesus. Lift it up high. Thank you. I see those hands. Thank you, Jesus. And Christians, you want to pray and continue asking God to bring many more. Thank you. I see that hand at the back. Lift it up high and say, say thank you. Thank you. I see the hand in the middle. The Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. There is someone who is wondering whether it is my opportunity. Yes, it's you I'm talking about. Please just lift up your hand right now and we will pray together. Thank you. I see those hands continue to be lifted up high. Our time is spent, but I just want to offer you that opportunity so that we pray together. Is there such someone else? Thank you. I see those hands. Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, breaking the chains of darkness as he did at Calvary. Is there someone else who is saying, oh, pray with me. Thank you. I see that hand. Don't worry about your friends. Don't worry about who is sitting next to you. This is an eternal moment for you and for you with your Savior. Thank you. I see those hands lifted up high. In the name of Jesus Christ, is there someone else? As we say this prayer, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. 
As you lift up your hand, pray this prayer with me. I see that hand at the foyer. Thank you. Lift it up high and just believe with me as we pray this prayer together. Don't worry about whoever is sitting next to you or what people will think about you. This is a moment I had 22 years ago and I still say Jesus is Lord and Savior. Have that moment and your life is secured with him. Thank you. I see the hand going up at the front in the name of Jesus Christ.